You are listening to Within Tolerance, a podcast for machinists by a machinist. I'm your host, Dylan Jackson of Protein Machining, and this week I am joined by Derek Schutz. How are you hey. doing, Derek? Good of yourself. Doing well. So for those who haven't heard of you, you know, who are you? What do you do? Where can people find you online? All that good stuff. Uh, so my name is Derek. I run a small business called Fidget Things. Uh, primarily just make basically what the name is, things you fidget with. Uh, I try to branch into other general EC gear, such as, you know, knives, uh, utility blades, keychains. Um, I've made little screwdrivers and I have a long list of other things I want to make, but I started with fidget things because the whole fidget spinner craze back in 2016. Awesome. And what kind of machinery do you have? So I run everything in my garage. Um, for some reason I made it a rule that I can only do single phase and I'm kind of regretting that going now, but I have a Haas CL1 lathe, a Haas CM1 mill, a Protomax water jet, a 80 watt fiber MOPA fiber laser, a 60 watt CO2 laser, um, heat treat oven, belt grinder, pretty much have that. And I think I have six 3D printers. I had no idea you had that much packed into that garage like i knew about the haas both yeah. of them but i didn't realize you had all the lasers and the proto max and all of that i've kind of made it a point to get tools so i can make stuff and let, let that not be an excuse as to why i can't make something so yeah it's it's all in there um some things i need to use more than others like the water jet probably don't give it enough use i use it mainly to like you know cut blanks for the mill since i have a small spindle it's, i could shave a lot of time by pre-cutting like work holding fix or parts with holes to work hold it to a pallet so that's, that's, that's main purpose yeah yeah that's super neat that must be a really handy thing to have on hand i've always looked at those proto max and been like i could probably find a corner in my shop to stash one of those in yeah it takes like no space i mean the, the biggest headache is the drain system but they give you like a a pump that goes into a bucket you can have a drain into and that pumps it to your sink if you want to filter it pre um but the thing's been great i'm super surprised with how well how well it can cut i think the biggest i've done i've done quarter inch titanium on it cuts through like butter i've done three eighths aluminum same thing clean cuts and just works and uh just recently i did i had to cut out was it six sheets of 304 uh stainless and ran it like basically all day and it just kept chugging on through that's killer how cool yeah well, so how did you get to this point? You know, where did you pick up machining? How did you start your manufacturing journey? Uh, so it's kind of naive, and I thought it'd be like 3D printing. So back in 2016, um, I was on Amazon, and I needed free shipping for the next day. So I started going down like a YouTube rabbit hole of like, you know, things to buy on Amazon. That's, you know, EDC gear. And then I saw a torque bar fidget spinner, you know, the one that started it all. And I'm like, that's cool. So I kept watching videos, and then someone posted a video of a 3D printed one. And I'm like, oh, I can make that. I have a 3D printer. I've been doing that for like a couple of years. So I, I print this thing and I'm like, oh, this is neat. I had an Etsy shop at the time that I was selling like laser engraved dice on. And it's weird. I put it on my Etsy shop and it was gone in five minutes. And I'm like, that was weird. So then I made, you know, another five, put them up. And within an hour, they all sold. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this is strange. So I just put like, you know, 10 up, woke up, all gone and a bunch of messages. And I'm like, Oh, this is weird. Okay. So then I like went on Amazon, bought a whole bunch of bearings and just started printing them. And within a month, I went from one 3D printer to really judging if I should buy four, like, will this continue? 
And then another month I ended up with 12 3D printers in my apartment, tripping our breaker, just printing fidget spinners nonstop. I was designing them. So I started out with a generic, like, you know, three bearings around a bearing. And then I was like one of the first people to design and they have like the little weighted balls in it instead. And just came with all these different designs. I built a mass of like 40,000 followers and really started digging into, you know, manufacturing from there. And then I saw people were making these uh, metal ones. I'm like, oh, metal's cool. I could 3D print. I could, I could totally do that. So I went and bought a Sureline mill CNC package. <laughs> it's like five grand. I'm like, oh man, it's a lot of money. Let's do it. I go and pick it up in San Diego, get it home. And I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, and then I get home from work and a spring like flew off the motor. And I just said like, okay, I'm not, I'm not dealing with this. I, I returned it. They're very disappointed in me, but they actually <laughs> did take it back. And I dug down like the rabbit hole for like CNC work. And I saw uh, Saunders and he had a 440 in his garage. And I'm like, that's a cool little machine. So I like bit the bull. I'm like, I'm going to buy this and I, I can make stuff. So I bought a 440, got it delivered into my apartment's garage and didn't have power in the garage, so couldn't run it. So it sat there for a couple months. And then eventually I finally got into it and it was a long uphill journey from there. And then, that's crazy. Yeah, it was. Uh, that's what started me down machining was fidget spinners, as funny as it sounds. That, that is really cool. So then, you know, how did this all progress? You know, you had the Tormach. What made you get another machine and a lathe? And, you know, is it just adding more capabilities? Like you said, you didn't want to not be able to make something. So that's like kind of like the general premise is like I never I don't have this business really to make money. It's just kind of to expand my capabilities. So like I had the Tormach. Uh, I bought my first house um, a little bit after that. And it kind of sat unused for a while. And I moved up to San Francisco for work, like remote for a bit. And I would come home like every month and kind of turn the machine on. And there was one thing that I was making when I was making fidget spinners, which was the chill pills. And that was always like a product. And like it didn't die like spinners because it never was really popular. So occasionally I was selling 3D printed chill pills when I was up in my other house. I'd ship out like five a week. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to try making these out of metal on a little, you know, three axis mill and a vice terrible they came out so awful i couldn't get them to line up um <laughs> i still had no idea what i was doing with the machine but i, I did get some to, to be made and i sold them to a handful of people and i'm like this is cool but i need a lathe like i think a lathe would make this a lot easier so i went on craigslist and there was this lathe from fcnc machinery which i guess is the son-in-law to the guy who used to own fadal and he was up in san dimas and he had one for sale and I messaged him like, hey, can I give you $5,000 for it? And he's like, no, that's too low. And I'm like, okay, like I, I can't get it. So then I, I didn't wait on it. And then it popped up again, like a year later, like another one. And I'm like, this is a single phase machine. It's perfect size for my garage. At the time I had the 440 and I had to park two cars in the garage. Oh, geez. So like I needed so that I could fit against the wall and just kind of work. And it was also, I couldn't get 220. I can only get 120. And it was like, condos that were right next to each other so i had to kind of be a little bit quiet so i finally talked to this guy again i'm like i can't pass it up i got it for like six thousand dollars and he helped me load it and drive it down from san or from san dimas and from there i was like okay let's learn how to make a chill pill learn how to use the lathe had no post processor um so i had to like hand edit code and manually flip all the act the x-axis movements so highlight and replace X with negative X oh, just geez. to make it work. <laughs> it was brutal, but I eventually figured it all out. Um, 
and started making children like, is this perfect? And coincidentally, that was like in December, Make 100 started on Kickstarter. And I'm like, oh, this is perfect. I'll, I'll do the chill pill launch, metal chill pill with Make 100 and get them anodized. It makes perfect sense. I did that, launched Kickstarter, and it was like, I made like $20,000 from chill pill. I'm like, this is amazing. Like, I would have <laughs> never expected this product to kind of like take off like that. So um, I'm unfamiliar with that lathe. What's the control and, and how does that thing all work? Flash cut CNC. Okay. And it was just like, it looked like a, like a metal like fridge basically with a sliding door. The guy made them in his shop and he also made mills. And he basically took it from, he got, got all his experience from his dad who owned Fidal Machinery. So he built these really compact um, gang tool lathes. Like if you only had like six inches of travel um, and it had like a huge headstock on it. You could, um, got three jaw chuck and it was great. It was just, there was no support behind it. So like it had, you right. could manually program a flash cut, but I, I still don't know G code very well. I'm terrible. I, I just all do everything cam. It, it's, it's a bad habit, but so I was asking him how to do it in cam. He's like, Oh, you just do it with a uh, G code. You just type in this. I'm like, okay, but please use a 360. I just <laughs> right. like, how could I do this? Yeah. How do I do it in the software that I'm using? <laughs> yeah. So oh, he boy. referred me to a friend who had like a post, but that post only flipped everything like the wrong way. So I figured that out eventually and learned that I just had to highlight and replace X's with negative X's. And I can at least get some kind of, you know, working thing. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned the chill pill. What is the chill pill and what other products do you have? Cause I mean, obviously fidget spinners are not nearly the craze that they are or they were when you started. So yeah. what other products do you make? So surprisingly, spinners are still pretty popular, like in the groups I'm in. It's just really? like a smaller market, but like it's the high end. So they're okay. still like actively makers making them and they sell for hundreds of dollars in like unique metals. Um, I want to make one eventually. It's just like I've been swamped with like, you know, just the basics for running business. But for the chill pill is essentially just a magnetic uh, pill, magnet on each, each side and you snap it together between your hands. And I offered in pretty much every type of machinable material you can think of or that I got a chance to try. So anything from acrylic, or I also do 3D printed, to um, superconductor, which um, is copper surrounding, what is it, Niobian uh, rods. A really bizarre looking material if you're familiar with it, but yeah, it's it a really fun awesome. machine. Um, so that's like my main product. That's what I sell the most of. I, I attribute that to the Kickstarter. And it's what I promote the most. Um, I do a lot of magnetic sliders and haptics um, is like the new term for like fidgets that are popular right now. And it's just essentially two separate bodies that slide again that are held together with just magnets and they click uh, like up and down. And they're really popular right now. And I can see why, because you can play with them and do tricks with them. And I have a couple products I've launched throughout the last couple of years of those. I've kind of discontinued them. And right now I'm working on another version that people have been asking me for for a year that I made like a couple times. So I should be launching that hopefully next week uh, once I finish making them all. And then I make, uh, I have a utility knife I designed that I also did a Kickstarter for. Um, it's the scariest looking contraption ever. Um, the knife flips out sideways. So you can use like a scraper. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I don't even know if I have one things in the garage. I have them all magnet to the side of my machine, <laughs> but everyone sees it and they're like terrified, but it was like a very successful Kickstarter that did good. And I, my whole goal when I designed that knife is I didn't want to copy someone. 
I wanted my design to be completely different because I didn't want someone like say like, oh, you're just taking someone's design, like be unique. So I made something probably a little bit too unique. I mean, it um, sounds like it was not too unique to not to fail. So yeah, uh, no, I mean, it, it was successful. It was terrifying, but I, I like it. I use it. I carry it around usually. Um, I moved on to a new knife I designed, which is a little bit more practical. It's a utility knife. Um, I call it slide. And it's just out the front sliding, a knife that uses magnets. Uh, my primary like other like material uses magnets and everything because magnets are cool. I, um, I agree for sure. <laughs> well, cool. So then back to the story. Where did you go? How did you get to the CL1? Yeah, okay. So then I did the second Kickstarter, which is the knife I told you about. And then I was like, okay, I can't do the 440 anymore. It's too slow. So I did that Kickstarter. I did like 20000 I'm like, okay, I'm going to invest um, pretty much all that money. I'm going to buy a 770 MX. Because I'm still in my garage. Only had 120-volt power, so I couldn't get the 1100. And I did the measurements. I wouldn't be able to park my car in the garage with the 1100. Um, so I got that machine, finished that whole Kickstarter, um, and then was continuing to sell chill pills, making good. And a slant pro appeared on a used market up in, uh, like Washington. And it was like basically the full automation package. Um, and it was at the time during COVID where everything was out of stock had a month's wait from like Tormog. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll make this guy an offer. Um, I offered him low. He's like, no, but I'll deliver it to you personally. So I'm okay. like, okay, I'll, I'll take it. That's worth it. I mean, it's cheaper than it is new and it looks good condition. So the guy with his son drove down from Washington with a slant pro on the back of a trailer. And I got that thing and I sold the other machine like instantaneously because this thing was fantastic. Um, ran the slant pro, uh, moved that with me to Vegas. I've made, made thousands of parts on it. And then I just got to the point where it's like, okay, I had a pretty good year. Let me try to get a faster machine and I want to get live tooling so that I could um, add some new features and try some new products. Like, you know, let's add a little like extra depth to like lathes. So looked around at lathes and it's really depressing, but there's not a lot of choices out there for single phase lathes. You have Tormach and then you have the CL. Yeah. And then like random desktop machines that you really can't do anything with it. So, so like, I forget, is the CL the one with the pneumatic bar pusher that's kind of built into yeah, it? Yeah, the, the nightmare pneumatic bar pusher, yes. <laughs> oh, it's it's that good, huh? <laughs> yeah. I did not realize. <laughs> so yeah, I, I get that. So I got the C, I ordered the CL. Um, actually, sorry, no, scratch that. Had the Slam Pro, and then I was like, oh, let's buy a mill. So I bought a CM1 new, right? And I had it on order and had a 30-week lead time because of COVID. Jeez. And I asked the guys, like, you know, what happens in 30 weeks, like, if my business crashes or, like, something else happens? Like, oh, you can probably cancel it um, as long as it's not in production. So I would be browsing, like, you know, used machines every so often. And basically the same machine I wanted appeared used for half the price. Oh, geez. And available now. And I'm like, Oops. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go buy the used one. I bought the used one. I'm like, cool. Okay, so, like, worst case is they won't give me my money back and I have to end up with two. Uh, okay situation they let me change my reservation to a cl1 to keep my lead time worst case scenario or best case scenario i just get my deposit back um they let me cancel and then they told me we can get you a cl1 and let you keep your place in line so i got the cm and then like a awesome. month and a half later i got the cl and then i end up with two Haas machines within last year that were great um the cm1 has blown my expectations out of the water um, just 
the rigidity of it compared to the uh, Tormach 770. Same size, pretty much the same build volume, but it's just, you can tell the difference between 900 pounds and 2,500 pounds. Oh, yeah. So I mean, just that alone yeah, without but, any design changes is significant for sure. Um, so that thing's been fantastic. The CL1. Um, so yeah, the, the CL1, we got, you got two questions. questions. Yeah. yeah, Chris Holmes from the Patreon and Odority44. They wanted to know about the CL1, how you like it. Uh, one of them had heard that there's live tooling issues with that machine. So, you know, tell me good, bad, ugly. How's it going with that machine? Machine is fast, more than capable. Um, cuts everything I've thrown at it. I haven't had trouble. I've stalled it once, and that's because um, the bar puller issue. Um, the live tooling has been great. Uh, I've used it just for like uh, redesigning the plates that screw in the bottom of my chill pill, um, adding some small details. I've mainly only used it for drilling because with the live tooling, I haven't found a post processor that works. Um, it's really weird. Like I spit out code and it does really weird things, and I'm terrified it's going to like destroy the spindle because the way the machine moves with that live tool spindle is it will crash it all the way through your spindle to the other side oh so there's geez. no like hard soft so if you just like if you tell it to move there it's just gonna drive your spindle head through the entire live tool and probably break it off or maybe the maybe the motor will stall but i'm like terrified <laughs> to run some program that's gonna do that so i've been hand coding like a drilling operation um in the meantime Okay, um, but that thing works pretty good. It's six thousand RPM, so nothing crazy. But I've used it to drill every material with a tiny, um, was it point zero eight five inch drill, and it goes through it fine. And it's reliable. Um, I usually run it for the particular product I run is uh, I run a six what a three foot bar, half inch thick, and it makes one hundred and fifty parts, and it'll drill no problem, and just keep spitting out parts. Uh, whether the parts catch or catches them all is a different question, but you like half of the parts caught in it so that's fun <laughs> um the real issue is the bar pusher and the collet clamp with the machine so the slant pro it had a pneumatic um collet clamp mm -hmm. so no matter as long you basically screw the collet in all the way and no matter what the bar size like deviation with the right size collet it would clamp the bar and hold it right. the um, cl1 you have to fine tune adjust it so you click it to where it won't clamp, and then you click it two clicks back, and that's like tight. Really? Yeah. So, so you have to adjust it like a Swiss lathe or something. Yeah, you basically have, like have a real. You have to have great stock essentially. So I'm running acrylic sometimes, and acrylic bars is not the most true thing ever. So if I'm not standing there watching, um, the pneumatic bar pusher, which is always pushing on the stock, will sometimes just shoot the stock through the front into the tool changer and the tool changer will change and then snap a one inch acrylic bar. Well, that sounds terrifying. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a good sound to hear. Luckily metal stock is a little bit more consistent. So you don't, that hasn't happened to me yet. Like knock on wood, but yeah, it's frustrating because with the slant pro, I could load a three foot bar into it with a, just a spring loaded, uh, easy pull and it would just make all the parts. I wouldn't have to think about it. Not a bad eye. And then when you get to the bar pusher itself, I only got the three foot one, but that also you need to have perfectly straight bars and a clamp that's clamping perfectly uh, concentric. Mm -hmm. And if your bar is uneven slightly, then that whole end wiggles. And then against the live center, that's wiggling. And it just turns in this giant whipping, vibrating sound that's constantly going. So you're standing in your garage and you just hear this like, 
horrible noise that sounds like something's gonna break. And Haas like, oh, it's fine. It'll, it won't do anything to it. I'm like, <laughs> okay, Doubt. yeah, I, I have my doubts, but it is what it is. Um, luckily, it wasn't like that much of a more expensive add-on, but like it seems like the fixes to it are pretty simple. But they don't care about the line. It's add a full pneumatic uh, call it system, and then add a way to retract the live center or the bar pusher like while it's feeding and like that i could do that myself relatively easy if i bought macros and then additional m codes by adding a um what did you have to add a solenoid to retract it because it's not a you only you have to basically release pressure for a certain amount of time it doesn't know when it's where it's at so it basically just always pressurizing the system so you need to pressurize it so many seconds pull it back and then tell it to repressurize when it's time to push the bar forward. Mm. Yeah, that's frustrating. Yeah. But I mean, overall, it's it's making me parts. It's paying for itself. I've done about 10,000 cycles on it already. Or yeah, 10,000, I guess, rate term cycles. So I guess I can't complain too much. It's just so frustrating when you're standing in the garage, everything's running smooth, and all of a sudden it like clamps a bar in a weird way. And you just hear this terrible noise running. It's like having an air compressor that I replaced uh, back in the garage, or yeah. a piston air compressor. Well, I, I, ma- I imagine that like having a product that's so close to being like what you want is much more frustrating than like a piece of crap because like then at least you could like write it off and be like, no, nope, this like this whole thing is terrible. I need to get rid of it. But like it's so it's so close to good that you're like, man, I you know. Five percent more, and I would never have to think about it. It ticks all the box I want. I want a single phase lathe, one inch another bar stock that just made parts and had a parts catcher and live tooling. Like it's perfect, and yeah, Um, it sounds like I'm not the only one that's had that problem with the bar pusher. Um, I think I'm the worst from what I've read from other people, but yeah, I I like it. Would I buy it again? No, I probably would not buy another one. Um, okay. That's probably the first machine I'm going to get rid of if I decide to uh, get a new lathe. I'm probably want to get a uh, some kind of dual spindle lathe next, but that's a whole other thing to find that's hard. Right. Well, and then you'll need either phase converter, three phase, or yeah, a shop I, space or something. Yeah, I've I, I think I had the space. There's only a couple handful that'll fit, um, and I think I had the power to support it. But it's finding that so far, I've only found one lathe that will fit. And it's a company that doesn't email me back when I try to ask for questions or ask for information. What company? Uh, Cubic Machinery. I've only, I think, tangentially heard that name before. I've never really looked into them. They're in California. They make really cool um, gang style tool legs that are good size. Like they would have been a perfect fit. Like I probably would have bought it over the CL, um, but they didn't respond to emails. Um, and I actually told the guys at IMTS like that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I tried reaching out to you guys like several times trying to find. It's like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah. Oh, well, reach out to me again when you get back and we'll talk about things. I got one email back so far, nothing. But they do have, they basically have a twin spindle lathe that's really small footprint. It's like 6,500 pounds compared to all the other ones. Um, it has live tooling and it's only a little bit bigger than the CL. Oh, wow. So like that's probably the perfect size machine. Cause like the other option is buy a Swiss. Swisses are super expensive. And then everyone's telling me you don't want a Swiss because the pain is set up. So I'm kind of like on the fence as to where I want to put my money next or if I should just deal with what I have and, you know, make it work. Yeah. And I'm not sure that a Swiss is exactly small either. 
Well, you can, I mean, I looked at it, I, I was like heavily looking at ITS, like Sugami really had my interests because of their, um, they had to have like their own uh, G-code gener- like generator or like a uh, toolpath generator. Oh, somebody was telling me about that. Yeah, It's really cool and like intuitive. The guy showed me basically how to make a part and you just do it all in the system. And it's like, it's just like an easy to use cam for like basic operations. I'm like, that's perfect. Like I can make all my stuff with your guys' controller and it spits out G, it spits out the, um, the program for that machine. That's and, neat. That's yeah. Really and, they, cool. and they had Chuck, like they ran in Chucker mode. So you didn't need a bar feeder. You can run it bigger than um, the 24 millimeter bar capacity. It was, they weighed a lot, but it was smaller than, it was the same size as the CL. So I could fit it in the same spot. Um, but the quotes, the smaller machines were more expensive than the larger ones oh, um, because they only came in like the seven and nine access versions. Oh, gotcha. So it's not completely ruled out. It's just, you know, I got to make the next choice is what I want to do. Totally. Well, so you mentioned Kickstarter, and I think that a lot of people who maybe have a product don't really know if that's the right way for them. So what has your experience been with Kickstarter? And, you know, would you do it again? It sounds like you did one fairly recently, but would you do it again? I know that they've kind of changed the way things go it seems like every other year they're changing the rules so um so last one i did was right before it was during COVID. i think yeah it was during COVID, like right when it happened um i did it a second time because you kind of have an audience already there and i usually like to do it for items that i need to like add some kind of like post-processing that i can't do in-house so everything i launched on kickstarter was for stuff that i wanted to get anodized because you got to get a certain part limit or part count to make it worth it um, so the chill pill, I did that. I could make 100. I ended up selling, I think, almost 500 chill pills on it. And, oh, wow. you know, if I would have went to my normal customers, I would have had them like trickle in and, you know, I couldn't get like anodizing. It's like a minimum, I think at the time it was like $200 to get, you know, fee. So I wanted to make sure whatever I got anodized, it was worth it and my time and, you know, the total cost. So I could pass it on at a reasonable rate to the customers. Uh, the knife, the same thing. I wanted to do them in different colors. So I just, you know, I ended up selling, I think like 300 knives and that just easily covered it. So like, I like Kickstarter. I think it's great because there is like a customer that just goes on Kickstarter to buy stuff. So it lets you hit a a market that you probably don't normally hit just selling at your own, you know, your own customers or your own social media. And it lets you start building a customer base there. And like, one of the cool things is I actually back a lot of stuff on Kickstarter. I don't know you've heard of Drafttop. I haven't, no. So Draft Top's that... this thing that takes the tops off of cans so you can drink it like a cup. Oh, I have seen that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I backed their original Kickstarter where they made it all out of metal. And at the time I was doing the chill pill, they launched their second one. And I reached out to them like, hey, let me ask these guys. You know, they, they're already at like $200,000. I'm like, hey, I backed your first one. Love your product. Would you give me a shout out? Sure enough, like they did a shout out for me to like their 10,000 backers. And I made like $5,000 from their shout out. Oh, just wow. because like people are on Kickstarter just looking for stuff to buy and try. So, right. Um, you do build some connections. You could go like the crazy route and do like marketing and do that. I haven't, I have yet to do marketing with Kickstarter. Um, just never, I guess I haven't seen the need to, um, I want right. to kind of see how my product does without it. Yeah. Are there any things that you've come across that people should look out for if they want to do a Kickstarter? Um, trying to think what is like i think price points pretty good uh be honest about your lead time 
like how long it's going to take you to like make it and like build some buffer into it. And then like the more updates you post, like if you do a daily update, weekly update, you build a lot more engagement and people talk about it more. And when someone kind of stumbles across your page and actively sees like the comments, asking you questions, you're responding or actively sees updates, they kind of want to be part of that whole experience too. So like the more updates I was posting, I could see like a better stream of like people checking out and actually backing the project. Um, so I was basically updating everything I was doing, like, oh, got a new logo design. Oh, here's an idea for packaging. Oh, take a vote on this. Oh, here's what I went through today. Oh, I solved this problem. Like just anything you could think of, not long, lengthy, just like you're just talking to a group of people. And that seems to really build that engagement with that customer. Interesting. So it almost becomes like social media in addition yeah, I, to the I, Kickstarter I, campaign. Yeah. And like, you know, and there's a lot of, there's makers who do like focus on like the social media aspect. It's a big deal. Like people buy products, I think for the person a lot more than maybe the product. So, yeah, like, that makes sense. Totally. Uh, Ethan Patain asked, what are your thoughts and experiences from 2016, 2017, the first wave of fidget spinners? So how crazy, I mean, you, you already said you were up to 12 printers but like, how crazy did it get? And, you know, did you expect it to just die off like it did? Because, I mean, for me, being on the outside, it seemed like overnight, you know, it went from like super hot and then like within a week, it so, was just like gone. It was weird because I was in it like before it like fully caught on. So I was like one of two people selling them on Etsy. Um, And I remember having this like pricing competition with this guy. Like I would release one and he released one cheaper and we just keep undercutting each other trying to get more. <laughs> and like there was a point where it got really slow and like that's when i was buying like you know the printers i'm like oh is this worth it is it gonna continue and then december hit and it just like exploded and then january like you can see like the graph of like popularity and it was insane my wife hated me or she's my girlfriend at the time i was getting 150 to 200 orders a day of 3d printed fidget spinner so it's not like i'm just uh, you know, buying them, throwing them in a package. I have 12 printers running them. I'm changing those out every four hours because they're printing six at a time. I'm sorting them by color and I'm popping in the balls and the bearings into them and then packaging them and then dealing with social media. I had like 48,000 12 year olds probably following me at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you can imagine the questions like they buy it and 10 minutes later, like, Hey, where is it? When am I getting it? Right. Yeah, you're not Amazon. Where yeah, is it? I don't even know if Amazon was that good yet. Um, but yeah, it was it was fun. And like my biggest thing is, I, I kept telling like my wife and like my friends, like like why are you doing this? Because working my other job too, and like how do you have time? Like you just can't stop. You don't you don't just turn it off. Like my wife just turn it off. You don't need you know just you have enough work. I'm like no no no, I'm never gonna have this opportunity again. You don't just turn it off. And she still says the same thing to me today. Like I'll sometimes <laughs> get really busy. And I'm like, I can't turn it off like that's no that's you don't you don't stop an opportunity because i'm not going to know like when this could you know happen again like i look at like what i have in my garage today because of this and like never like saying no and stopping like, i don't want to like you know give up that opportunity right yeah it, it feels like business is it's less like pulling over a car and much more like trying to stop a speeding freight train or something. Yeah, it's like you've got momentum. You need you need to like if if you ever wanted to stop, it's not an instant flip the switch either. Like I feel like you got to ramp down, especially with like Etsy at the time. Um, like I, I've moved off of Etsy because they said I can't sell my product on the website anymore. Um, really weird. I think it's because I was copyright blocking someone on Amazon selling a clone of my chill pill. 
and they retaliated by reporting my item to Etsy. Um, wow. Yeah, that, that's my theory. I could be completely wrong, but it feels really good because China saw my product and put time aside to make my product to sell clones. Like it, it, it hurts that you're being copied, <laughs> but at the same time, it's like a little bit of pride. Like I've right. created something that captured the attention of a different country enough for them to try to profit off of it. Um, that's hilarious. So like Etsy, the way their algorithm works is it works by your momentum. So like the more sales and views you get on your products and like the conversion you get, the higher you appear in ranking. So like if as soon if you like like people would say like if you go on vacation mode or something or turn it off, which they actively sell, like they would get ghost banned because they'd fall from like being like the top page to like deep in the tents. Like when you search fidgets at the time when I was doing it, I was always in the first two pages. Like I was ever without having to pay for ads. So it's like the first like thing you saw and like, oh, that's cool. Buy it. And then just kept like building and building and building. But if I turn that off, I'll quickly go to 10 and like people aren't going to see my stuff. Wow. I never even thought about that. Yeah. So it made a huge difference. And I think that's what like I have had 30 something thousand dollars, 30 something thousand sales on Etsy before I had to leave. That's crazy. And I'm sure very frustrating that they did that then. It was sad. Like I spent like all this time and like the worst part is I couldn't like go back to him and like, like defend it because I still had stuff active. So like my fear was like, if I tried to, you know, bring up like, Hey, can you un, cause they only banned a couple of my items, but they only left a couple others. Okay. Cause of the way the system works. So I could have like pushed back, but then like I had a fear they're just gonna completely shut down my whole website. So I had right. to like actively jump to Shopify, build a whole new website, learn how that system works. Um, and then now I've pretty much gotten rid of like having a marketplace. So I have to kind of get my own sales. Um, so it's mainly like this year, my main push is focus on, you know, social media, driving engagement, posting more videos, um, you know, that side. Cause I haven't done paid advertising since the fidget spinner craze in 2017. So you mentioned you were printing all of this stuff. So maybe we should get into a little bit of 3d printer stuff too. Like what lessons have you learned through running basically a printer farm? You know, what filaments do you like? What, you know, all all of the consumables and things that can go wrong in 3d printing, what have you found works for you? Um, ABS. So I started back when like ABS was like the try and true like material. Like this was a long time. I started like a, a maker farm printer thing was like a destruction. And then I designed and made my own. And then I built like a castle. Then I sold that. And then I just made a, Herculean, which was like a three foot by three foot box with a huge bed. I sold that to a toy maker in um, Escondido. And then I made like another printer after that before the fidget spinner craze. And then I learned it's just better to buy ones that are already built. Um, So I was doing uh, flash forge creators, just heated bed, small, you know, prints what you can fit. Right. Um, And then like for filament, like I generally went with like the, the like the cheapest filament is fine, like cheapest reputable. Like don't go like the five dollar stuff you see like on flash sale for like Facebook Marketplace. But like uh, I was primarily using like Micro Center's Inland. It was like fifteen bucks a roll. Okay, it works and like it didn't jab. It's consistent enough to where it'll print. And then like the products when I'm printing, I'm not focusing like so much on surface finish and like super tight tolerances. Like I understand it's a nozzle extruding plastic. Yeah, you can, you know, really fine tune and adjust your flow calibration and get your sizes within like, you know, 
0.1 millimeters and it, it'll it'll work like you could totally spend the time but it's not worth the time to chase all that down from my experience i'd rather just get a printer that's going to work if it can print a file consistently and not give me spaghetti it's a good printer um so like right now i had a perusa mk3s that's what i moved to after i kind of got rid of all the printer farm printers um that thing's been great i've had it for days hundreds of days of printing and it hasn't failed me i've had one broken thermistor happen and at the time i was like okay i'm just going to upgrade the uh, nozzle completely to the uh what's the quick switchable ones called oh e3 revo yeah so i upgraded yeah, yeah. the revo i'm like okay i'll do it it's a pretty cheap upgrade um and it just works i did that and i still print with that uh, i mainly use 0.6 millimeter nozzle on that now just for like printing out quick large items um i also bought two minis uh, a couple years back because when chill pills were starting to pick up i needed a way to print more of them because i bought an ender 3 and the ender 3 just wasn't you can tell like i would load the same file in the ender 3 and like the threads would line up oh interesting and it's like okay so i had to like adjust the extrusion or adjust or modify the tolerance of the threads and then leveling the bed was like a finicky so i'd have to print on rafts and it was just like this is not a good experience so i bought two minis and they just worked right out of the box. And I used that as kind of like my print farm for the chill pills. And then recently, I just picked up the Bamboo Labs. Um, I bought the X1. Or I, bought, I bought the X1CC. And then it was on order too long. And then for some reason, I bought the X1C to see if I get it quicker. And it came. And at the same time that that one came, I got the shipment notification for the combo <laughs> unit. And I'm like, I have two under threes in it to get rid of. I'll just replace it with the bamboo labs there you go so i use those now for like pumping out the chill like my 3d printed chill pills so i have the ams with 16 spools of filament in it so now i just load which color i want and press go rather than having to change filament so kind of an eat like you know makes things a little bit more efficient and then yeah, the other totally. one is used for uh like abs asa or if i want to do like composites it's like my more uh, sturdy machine okay yeah i i love mine i mean I'm, I'm looking at it like it has been i had an under three before that and it was like non-stop you know i like machined my own custom bed yeah, mount you, for it and like did everything to try to make it reliable and then i was like oh this looks reliable it, it's weird like people like run print farms with under three and i'm like why do you want that headache or like you know it, it works this great i'm like they work but it's i, I it, it, you at the finick with it that's what i just didn't like i just want something that worked at this point and now like I have less time to like tinker like when something like doesn't work now like i bought a uh, brother label maker like the real one that everyone buys at auto cuts labels mm -hmm. and i bought the generic labels for it and the thing just would not work and i'm wasting like an hour and a half time trying to get this label to make or make i'm like this is this is terrible so i ended up just buying the official labels and just eating the cost they're like four times as expensive but at least it's just gonna work <laughs> but they work yeah. yeah i mean that's where i was like i have an entire shelf of stuff for my Voron build. And like, I still want to do it just for like, for, for fun. Like, I think it, it looks cool and like, it'd be a fun build, but like, I just wanted to print too. Like there was so many projects. My printer was printing for like probably two weeks straight when I got the bamboo, because I was like, I had all these projects that just needed to be printed and I never had a reliable printer. And now that I do, it's like, Oh, this is great. Like I just, you know, I, I have no, like with my Ender, I'd be worried if I left it running overnight. Because like, you would come I, back to waste it, fellow. Yeah. Right. Oh, right. I'm like, you know, is this going to break down on me or something? 
Whereas like the bamboo, I just leave it on, you know, whenever it's printing. I don't care. Like I said, a 20 hour print. Sure. Whatever. Let and it you go have the camera on it. So you check on it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I'll go out to dinner pause, or something yeah. and I'll be like, oh, yeah, that that looks great. Fine. Cool. OK. Yeah, I, I really have to get better at like discipline. Like I'm so scatterbrained. I have like, I have to get better at running those constantly. I usually don't have them running. I have all these products like I'm doing Graffinity because I got suckered into that. Um, I have like four or five drawers halfway done with Gridfinity that I just need to finish printing boxes for, but I get sidetracked by doing something else. Like right now I'm printing a Tenacious D multicolor print. Like I don't need that, <laughs> but it's cool. Right. <laughs> it takes, it takes 27 hours to print. It'll be really cool when it's done, but like, you know, I don't know. What I imagine with 16 colors, it's very much like I can make anything. Yeah. Like I did Bob Ross Deadpool and he's holding me a palette with the colors and I did a, each individual color on that. So thing came out to like 12 different colors. <laughs> and oh it's my like, goodness. I didn't need to do that. It took, I think it was like 30 something hours to like print like a one, like a two inch or four inch figure. Right. Cause but, all the filament changes. Yeah. But it's cool. It came out neat. So yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, let's see. Level up CNC asked, what should shops keep in mind when deciding what project products are worth selling to non-machinists is marketing the biggest part of it. So I said I don't do any marketing. Um, I guess I haven't. I don't. I, I'm I'm very lucky. I'm going to say that because like I have my following. I had like forty something thousand followers during the fidget spinner thing. That dropped down to like twenty thousand before I restarted things up back in 2018, 2019. It's, everything's a blur now. And it's funny. Like a lot of those kids will message me like, oh, yeah, I was an annoying twelve year old or. I was like, I bought like a fidget spinner from you. Like you make cool stuff. And I'm like, that's cool. And so I still have a good customer base. So I have a good reach when I make stuff. Um, like for me, like I only make things that I would want to use. You know, I don't make anything that like, oh, let's go after this target market customer. I bet I can make that better. Because like I want to find some enjoyment of what I make. And then also like I make things that it's going to better improve my skills. It's so like the chill pill, like it started out with me wanting to buy a lathe. You know, I mean, I made it on a mill, but it's like, okay, now I can use this to learn how to use a lathe. So I learned how to use a lathe. And then I bought a, um, what's it called? A brooch for making like hex things. I'm like, oh, I'll make a screwdriver with this. So I bought that brooch. I'm like, okay, so I made a little like, you know, micro driver. And then from that, I'm like, oh, I bet you I can make a threaded plate for my chill pill that uses an Allen key to undo. So then I took what I learned from making the screwdriver with the brooch to improve a product I already had. And then like when I bought the CL, I want live tooling. So I'm like, okay, I don't want to use brooch anymore. So now I use the live tooling to put notches in the side of the plate so you can unscrew it with like a special tool. And that like helped me learn how to use live tooling a little better. I mean, I'm still hand coding, but yeah, my, my main focus with like developing product is make it something that you want to make that you enjoy and don't make it about chasing a customer. But I'm also fortunate because I'm not doing this full time to like pay my bills. So I do have that, like, you know, I have to see it from that. Like people that might be trying to do it full time marketing might be their only thing, or they want to be trying to, you know, find the next thing to hit to try to, you know, make, make money. Right. Well, in that vein, what have you learned about pricing products? Cause it seems like with fidget stuff, you either have to be very cheap or very expensive. And it seems like that middle ground is kind of a hard place to be in. Yeah, that's tough. I pricing. I look at like what others are making and like what's selling. And then I look at the cost of like the material. So 
I've always wanted to like sell something that hits every price point. Like that's why I still do sell a 3D printed chill pill. Like that's 10 bucks. Like someone sees that that's, that's totally, you know, someone could throw $10 order it, and like they have something to play with. And then I'm hoping that that person buys like, Oh, this is cool. Let me go buy a metal one. I have a metal one starting at $20. Like that's not a lot of money for, you know, a lot of people and it lets them like, you know, experience it. And then, you know, from there I work up to things that are like $200, like the superconductor. And that's mainly because I'm buying a, what is it? A six inch bar is like $600. Yeah, that stuff's not cheap. Yeah, so <laughs> I, and it's a pain in the machine. Well, it's it's a little bit better, but it, it, it the risk, like if you make one mistake, it's like you lose a hundred dollars in material. Um, so my big thing is have a price point for everyone, um, and then just kind of see like what other people are selling out there, and just try to be competitive, and then look at like what your product quality is, like how do you compare to someone that's selling something for, you know, the similar ballpark. Some people, I think, do sell things way too cheap. Like, there's people that sell, um, like, a fidget slider that, you know, it's made of brass, but they spent, like, three hours laser engraving and finishing, and they sell for, like, 50 bucks. Oof. And it's like, ah, they, you got to, like, value your time, too. Yeah. And not sure. sell yourself short on that part. That's smart, though, starting out with the fit, like, the 3D printed, and then I, I think somebody referred to it as, like, a... Gateway drug? Well, like a, a stair-stepping method. They said like Apple does it very well. Where it's like, oh, well, I can get like the, you know, Mac Mini or whatever. And then it's like, oh, well, but for a little more, I can get like the Mac Mini Pro or like, I don't know what they're called nowadays. But like, you know, like they, the segments between each one of their products, it's like just a little more and just a little more and just a little more. And like, you can like very easily go from the cheapest thing to another $500 on top of it because you've made like five little mental leaps. That's true. Like I have small little upgrades. Um, like I like doing add-ons for things because of Kickstarter. Like you make a product and then like figure out how to sell an add-on that goes with it. That like uh, for the pocket knife I made, you got the knife, but then for like $10 more, you get a pocket clip. Like the pocket clip doesn't cost $10 to make. Um, it's kind of, it was kind of a pain the way I made it, but still like it's not $10 to make, but now <laughs> you turn that you know, $30 knife to a $40 purchase just because like, Hey, I want to probably like, Oh, and then for 20 more dollars, you can get a little leather holster to hang on your keychains, And like 20 bucks is not a big deal, but now you've turned a $40 purchase to like a $70 purchase. Right. So the, yeah, yeah, I like that. I like, and I like the idea of, you know, giving someone a chance to try it and be like, Oh, okay, this is cool. I want to buy more or let me buy it for my whole family. Oh yeah. So I would imagine a lot of gifts are given for, you know, chill pills. Yeah, like stocking stuffers. I get doctors that buy them for like their patients, psychiatrists, like oh, gag gifts. I have people message me like I help them quit smoking. And I'm like, that's cool. How's the anxiety? Like, that's all like totally unintended effect that I was going for. But like, thanks for messaging me. Thanks for letting me know that's helping you. Like, that's cool. Thanks for, you know, sharing how you're, how it's going with you. That's really cool. Well, the last question we had from Bree Pettis was, let's get some fidget things ASMR on the podcast. So do you have a chill pill nearby? Yeah, let's see. I don't know how much you can hear it. I can hear it. <laughs> it's like, it's weird how they like different sounds. Like that's turbo glow. It's so much more muffled because it's lighter. And then like, that's Mokuti and Zerkuti. And then you get like, like they feel different. It's weird how the material, like the density of it, changes so much. Yeah, huh? Like people really ask cool. me, like, what's the difference between all these things? And that's like generally tell, like, it's the weight preference, um, how it holds up with durability. 
yeah so what's your favorite that you've made uh, i love zirconium like that's like my favorite material to work with it's just because like it how it oxidizes black and then if you get a really good polish to it it feels like ceramic oh interesting. it's the weirdest material it machines like a little bit easier than grade two titanium mm-hmm. um but just polishes much better and then when you add that black oxide layer from heating it up it's just super smooth awesome well that brings us to shop news and new things so what else is going going on in your shop you know what's new any new products coming out soon or anything like that so right now i'm working on um the tactile slider that i released in zirconium a couple times and it usually sells out pretty quick um, everyone keeps asking for it. it's been in a couple of youtube videos so I've been making about, um, what is it, 32 times 4? No, it's about 64 tiles. So I've been running my CM1 constantly. Uh, I was trying to basically, the reason I haven't made them sooner is getting the top surface finish was a pain because it's only about point, was it, 0.5 millimeters thick. So I had a base, um, I had to make a fixture that held it flat against the aluminum so that when I surfaced it, it was perfectly smooth. Otherwise, I'm spending hours like hand sanding the top. So I ended up just surfacing with a ball, mo- ball mill after listening to how knife, mil- knife makers are doing like the surface finish on their blades. And sure enough, that actually looked really well. Um, oh, was that the part you were posting about? In yeah. The Discord? Okay. Yeah, like it's amazing. Like I, I had the idea, I just didn't find time to do it. And because what I do is I do a facing pass. And then I take it off the machine. It feels really smooth. But as soon as I run on a, like a sand, like sandpaper, just like clean it up, you just see these streaks from the quarter inch end mill. And I'm like, okay. And then to get that perfectly sanded out, it took like my fingers were raw. I'm like, I can't make these at scale to do that. Um, I tried vacuum fixture holding to get it really secured down. I tried screwing it down. Um, so this new method with using the ball mill, it's like perfect. It comes out almost like they slide the feather perfect. I don't have to do anything. Um, I started throwing them in my, um, was it? I have a disc tumbler with uh, some ceramic stone media and they come out great. They get sort of all tool marks, all tool lines, and they just look clean. That's killer. So disc tumbler, is that like one of those Avalon? Cent- yeah, centrifugals. Yes. Yeah. So that's, I guess, another thing I have. Um, I bought one of those from China recently and things fantastic. Yeah. It's, um, well... I had some controller issues. I have the new controller they sent me um, in the mail, but basically it was randomly like doubling its RPMs. Oh, jeez! So like, <laughs> like if you run it full speed, it just, it gives a really cool look at finish, but it just dents the hell out of your parts. Um, so if you run it like 500 RPMs with the uh, little green triangles, it gives you that nice, like, you know, tumbled finish, but it does it in like 10 minutes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so, I've, I've heard they're pretty fantastic for quick finishing and, and like very fine finishing as well. Yeah, and they're not loud. Um, you, I could run it and you barely even notice it's on. It's just swirling. It's like a washing machine. Um, something's been great except for the little issue of the controller, but just makes have to pay attention to it a little bit more. Where was I going with that? Sorry. <laughs> we were just talking about new products. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, releasing that. And then I have on my... Um, I bought stuff to work on a pen... I, I don't know if I want to do an ink pen or just like this pen knife I saw a long time ago that I used to have. That I kind of want to try. So that's on my to-do list. Uh, I have the Chill Pill Max, which I teased, which I made in the past, and I teased it a couple months back, but I haven't found time to make it. 
That's like a chill pill that you can also unscrew and has a secret compartment to stash your stuff in. I don't care what you're stashing in there, but you can stash stuff in there. <laughs> <laughs> so that seems pretty popular. Cool. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what I have for new products. Awesome. And then I assume you're kind of maxed out on machinery or anything new as far as that goes. Yeah, I can't buy anything else, unfortunately. It seems like really the next thing that I know I'm buying. Oh, yeah. Actually, no, I'm sorry. So for the CM1, I actually just got a TRT-70. Okay, so, so is that the fifth axis? That's the, the... five-axis trunnion for it. Awesome. Or not trunnion, five-axis rotary. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just had that driver installed by Haas, and I got it all, you know, planned out to come put on the machine. It's not installed yet because I'm waiting for a riser um, that I'm having made because I could have made it on the CL, but doing a four-inch wall cut with the ISO 20 taper, it didn't seem optimal. Sounds a little sketchy. Yeah. yeah, so I had someone else do it. So that part's on its way, and then I can kind of assemble the table. I got that all installed, and then I found out that you can only rotate the table negative 35 degrees, which is really where, So they restrict it, and you can, but you can rotate it positive 120 degrees. The only problem is on the CM1, the way I have it laid out, anything in the positive direction I can't hit because I'm out of table space. Oh, jeez. So I was reaching out. So there's another guy on the uh, Instant Machinist group who uses them like at his job. And he's like, yeah, I can rotate it however I want. So I had to reach out to Haas and bug them. And they found me the other, um, what's it called? The other config file. Yeah, the other config file for that rotary that's like special. And they say, you can use this, but you have to use low profile bolts. Otherwise, it'll just shear the bolts that mounts to the table. Oh, jeez. Okay. So well, I, sh- I mean, I guess you shouldn't be changing those bolts very often. So yeah, it's, it's know, a, a I mean, one-time I, thing. I think it's some low profile bolts for it. Um, but that thing should be cool. I've never done any fifth axis work, so I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, I don't what? have a product idea yet. I just have some things I want to try to like learn to play with it. And then okay. I got the orange, uh, was it five axis vice for behind it? Okay. Because that was like the only solution that fit there and like, I could think to make pallets that I could relocate with. So I ordered material to make a pallet that sits on top of that, that'll lock in with the jaws, kind of like what their normal vices do. And then I'll use that to make four by six pallets that'll also locate on those jaws. So I'll still have a pallet system. So I I like using uh, the Pearson system just because I like some efficiency with the, you know, putting all my parts on there. So are you going to have the Pearson system and the orange no, vice? So the Pearson system won't fit anymore because I don't want to move the TRT-70 because it weighs like 120 pounds. So rather than have it, I'm trying to incorporate everything onto the table. Okay. I'm just going to have a small 4 by 6 pallets to change in and out like when I want to change the product, which my mill products aren't that big, so I'm not too concerned. And then I have maybe some ideas for the fifth axis, but I'm hoping it just kind of like opens up a new product design. What kind of work holding did you get for the fifth axis? So right now I have just the fifth axis. That's the company, right? Fifth axis. Yeah. Yeah. The one at the one inch um, dovetail. Okay. Yeah. So that's cool. Cause I've never used dovetail cutters before. Nice. So I got um, the 60 degree to make uh, the fixtures for the vice. And then I got a 45 degree to make the dovetails for the actual fifth axis. So that's awesome. interesting. Yeah. The, the I've used those dovetail, uh, mounts before and they work great yeah so i make a custom plate for that also that was I, i'm getting a lot more comfortable with making my own like fixtures and stuff because i had to make a custom fixture for the trt70 because i'm mounting it to a saunders plate 
And then I designed the riser to fit the four by six vice and then also fit the tool, fit the tool setter. Nice. So it's gonna be a That's nice awesome. little compact setup. Yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds like you are optimizing every single square inch on that table. Yeah, it's cool. I'll have a 5X machine that can make like tiny, probably. I don't know how big I It's like technically it says the TRT. You can only use your biggest size is one inch by one inch by one inch. I don't buy that 100%. Um, I guess I don't understand why. I guess someone told me because the force, the edge of the part, if it's too long, would be too much on it. Like it's the only reason I can think. But you're doing such light cuts with the CM. I'm not, I don't think it's going to be too concerning. Right. Yeah. You're not hogging with that spindle. Yeah, you're anyway, you're so. only, your max tool is a three eighths inch tool. That's the biggest you're supposed to use on it. And they also tell you only to do 20% with the cut, 25% depth of cut. Oh, wow. On all your tooling. But like that, once again, that's one of those things that doesn't make sense because a 20% 25 on a three eighths is different than a 20% 25 on an eighth inch. Yeah, totally. So, hmm. That's very interesting. Well, I definitely look forward to seeing what you make with the whole five axis setup. Should be fun. Well, that brings me to the last question I ask every guest every week, which is what did you research this week? It doesn't have to be machining related. It's just what's been popping up in your browser. Um, so a lot of things with the five axis, like trying to figure out how to make it work. So that's all done now. And the other thing I need to figure out, and I think it's possible, um, is a way that every time I get a Shopify order, it auto buys a label and prints it out for me. Like that's a solution I need to find. There's solutions to where it'll generate a draft order, but you still have to go in and click print. I want it to be where I just have the printer in my garage and I walk in and there's just like a couple orders orders. printers. Yeah. Cause like shipping right now is like the biggest time sink of like running this. Um, It it gets, and I'm trying to do things this year to like make that more efficient. And that's one thing. Cause then, I could just walk in the garage, see like a stack of five labels, make them real quick and then be done compared to how I'm doing it now is like, I'll get to like 20 or 30 orders. I'll batch print them and then I'll spend, you know, all night assembling them and packaging them up. Um, so I, I want to, you know, try to get it streamlined where I just walk in the garage, I see it, let's get it done. And then I've also started like when I'm making the chill pills, I'm finishing them all up until the point you put a magnet in them. So I machine them. I sand. I, I have to do. I have to sand the nipple off that you get from parting it off. I do that by hand, um, and then I laser my logo inside of it, and then I tumble them. And I now do that all as soon as they go into the drawer. That way, I have basically ready to make product, and I just to put them together real quick. Compared to before, as I was pretty much making everything as an order came in. Oh, geez. Yeah. So like, I would spend like you know I. I would start watching like Apple TV series as I'm making these things um, and then assembling them for hours. So that's really helpful with efficiency, but just got to dig into Shopify, working on the flows and making that work out better. What do you do for packaging? Cause I, I would imagine that could be a giant time suck as well. Oh yeah. That was a huge time saver. I also invested in, um, I bought one of those auto take machines. Okay. Yeah. And not the hand crank ones, but I went like all out and bought the one where you push the button where it spits uh-huh. out your tape. I love those. I, I've looked at them for years and I've always like my first, like my job, I started like 10 years ago. We had one and I remember like there was just like a pain, just got gooey. It just didn't work all the time. So I didn't want to buy one. And I finally, you know, designed the everything, had one and kept talking about it. And I'm like, you know, I'm just going to buy it. It has helped so much to be able to just go up and press 12, 12 inch tape wrap around the box compared to like pulling the tape, ripping it off it getting all tangled, getting another piece and taping a box. But 
that's been huge. And I just use a, all my boxes are one size. I just do four by six by two inch from Uline. And I buy them about 500 at a time. And okay. then I buy this uh, crinkle cut paper or mm-hmm. like little shredded paper that my wife hates because she finds it everywhere in the house. <laughs> <laughs> I bet every time I get a package with that, like it, I feel like it's all over the shop immediately. Yeah, I always tell them a joke and put it in the bed and I'll tell you, like just pour the whole thing. <laughs> Oh um, man. But yeah, that's been better. Uh I do like it. I used to just do envelopes, which I kind of miss, like just manila envelope, but I wanted to get that quality perception of getting a box in the mail versus a padded envelope, so I made the switch. And I think it helped. It looks a lot nicer. Yeah, definitely. And I, I imagine you're using branded tape then with your tape dispenser. Um, so that was the plan. It came with like three rolls of tape. And then I did the math on that three rolls of tape, and it's gonna be like it's almost like two years worth of packages. Oh, I'm only geez. using 12 inch strip. <laughs> so it's like, okay. I, I could, I, I, it's on my, I was looking at doing custom boxes, but I thought, I think with just how much space the tape is going to cover and the label, I could do a custom brand of tape and it give just as good of appearance with a label than just doing the whole box. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely think so. And then I also like the ability of just like, if I'm running out of something, it's like expensive as Uline is like being able to get it next day is like amazing i i couldn't believe how like we we almost never order from uline and we did recently they're like oh it shipped ground and then it showed up the next day and we're like what yeah okay cool and then like have you ever called their customer service no i haven't oh i so i i ordered the tape dispenser because it said it comes with the three rolls tape and they didn't show up it's like oh that's the different one so i called the customer service i'm like hey and literally you you pick up the phone it rings once and then someone's like hello how can i help you no like music no picking options you're just like instantly talking to someone like you're calling your friend. It's the weirdest thing. And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll take care of that. We'll get sent to you the next day. Oh, that's killer. Yeah. So they can send me all the catalogs they want if I get my stuff next day and the answer phone's like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't take much to make a place indispensable. Like, yeah. I feel like that way with McMaster, like I'll text them issues that I have and they'll text back, you know, within 30 minutes. And I'm like, cool. I, I know it's solved. MSC's also been pretty good. Um they have a like if you have a problem or need to do something i like them the last thing i really do need is i need something for tools i i don't get vendors or like people like talk like you know uh, like someone come to my shop to recommend tools right. i've had like a couple times and they find out in my garage they just don't even want to talk to me oh very short-sighted so well thank you so much derek i really really appreciate it it's been great to kind of dive into your backstory you know we've kind of briefly met at imts but i I didn't really know much i'd seen your instagram and you know seen the chill pills and stuff but i didn't really know anything about you so i really appreciate you taking the time yeah thanks for having me i've been i binged your whole show last year or last summer um and it was great like i love listening like podcasts and hearing the stuff because you pick up little things that people are doing and you're like oh is that how you solve that problem you kind of relate it to like what you're working on so you know, hearing this like podcast every week brings a little bit of knowledge or something I didn't know existed. I appreciate it. Yeah. I, I, man, it's countless times that I'll come across a problem and be like, man, I feel like I talked to somebody who's dealt with this and then kind of think and be like, Oh, is this person? And like, you know, go DM them real quick. And it, it, yeah, it's definitely very helpful to just hear that those little tidbits that you're like, well, doesn't apply to me. And then six months down the line, you're like, Oh, now it does. Cool. Perfect. Well, thank you again. Thanks to all the Patreon members who make this show possible. And thank you for listening. I'll be back next week.